0: You are listening to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund podcast. The CBLDF podcast is part of our ongoing education program. My name is Alex Cox, and I am the host and producer of this episode. Our guest this month is cartoonist and writer Cena Grace. His most recent works would be the graphic memoir Self Obsessed, which is currently available, and Marvel Comics Iceman which is a monthly comic and on a comic rack near you. Cena is somebody who has uh, filled a lot of roles in the comic book industry, from editorial to retail to writing things that other people are going to draw, drawing things that other people have written, and writing and drawing his own stories. Beyond having an interesting professional career, Cena personally is one of the most hilarious and, and smart people that i have the chance to talk to from time to time and i hope that i captured a little bit of that in this interview he's a super talented and super thoughtful individual with a uh, with a lot of unique and interesting perspectives on on comics and the creation of comics and without further introduction i will turn it over to cena
1: I heard a birdie sing. Hey, I'm Sina Grace, and I'm a writer and artist, uh, mainly at Marvel and Image Comics. Uh, at Marvel, I write Iceman until uh, March 2018, and then at Image, I'm known for a lot of uh, graphic memoir and weird creator owned stuff, uh, mainly self obsessed and, and a new upbeat book called Nothing Lasts Forever.
0: <laughs> awesome you you've been doing comics for as long as i can remember you, knowing you so that's a couple of years now and i knew about your work before that but where where did you start with all this uh let me talk- let me rephrase oh, yeah, that let me sure. let me say because you have a career in comics outside of being a cartoonist yeah
1: yeah um and it started i guess in the editorial land um i was i was editorial assistant at Top Cow when I was in high school and then um, went to college and did some zines and self-produced, self-produced, I self-published, which is a lot like self-producing and um, and then, yeah, I think the I think the thing where I I kind of really just sort of like firmly established like I am a comic book guy is is when I started working for Robert Kirkman at his Skybound imprint um, at Image Comics and that was kind of the beginning of being able to do comic books full-time. Um, and then a couple years after that, I moved on and moved into doing uh, writing and drawing full-time freelance.
0: When you were doing zines, were, was this cartooning, were these mini-comics or were these zines zines? All mini-comics, mini-comics, mini-comics. All mini-comics.
1: Mini or uh, in the case of the first book that got distribution, that was like a full-fledged comic book books of pictures but it was a uh, black and white or grayscale grayscale but yeah so to me it felt very like indie and, and and it was slice of life uh but it was not i guess it was not a mini comic or zine um so yeah that that was sort of now with time and distance that's how i am able to crystallize like 6 years of my life
0: <laughs> well were you trading these and doing the whole like convention circuit and and going to small press shows and things like that or were
1: yeah, what's super crazy is that a lot of people who have now gained prominence both in, in, st- uh, in stream? mainstream and indie comics, uh, like Steve Orlando. I like and, in-stream.
0: I like that I know, uh, as a portmanteau
1: that, for people that do both. I know, but that's my new DC title coming out in 2019. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So yeah, I did do a lot of cons and what was crazy was like six or seven years ago, even eight years ago, it's like there was Steve Orlando and Ed Luce, but doing the same thing, like going to these smaller shows and, you know, setting up their work and, you know, trying to, trying to build an audience. Um, and none of us were anybody. We were all kind of the ones that people would walk by and ignore except for Ed. Ed was always really good at doing comic conventions. Um, He's but yeah, still I really good at it i know he's amazing i like he's just perfect to me like i i i'm andrew lincoln in love actually and i go to his doorstep with the sign like his husband is in the other room being like who's coming over <laughs> christmas at midnight and he's like nobody and i'm holding like to me you are perfect and he's like go away <laughs> go away i don't like you as a person either uh, that's not true he likes me as a human i think
0: well, let me ask you: Who was um, your inspiration for doing mini comics? Because of a certain age, everyone says Adrian Tomine, and I'm wondering, and I'm not sure that you're that generation. I think you might be the next next generation I, after.
1: I am, and I am in his generation. Like I loved his work, and I just remembered all those dudes because I loved indie books, and I also loved mainstream books. I would always get so frustrated with like him and Jordan Crane. And I was just like, why does it take four years for you to put out 30 pages? And it's like, cause you were working on like two New York covers a year, two New Yorker covers a year. Like I'm so confused. Um, so I was never, I was never inspired by his uh, output. Uh, but you know, like Craig Thompson was a big deal to me because he just did like a 600 page book of like him talking about himself. And it was the most beautiful collection of pages I had ever seen. Um, And similarly, like his little travel book, like on it to voyage or whatever, like I'm probably saying that super wrong. Um, I love that book. I do too. Like, even though I don't like reading it because I think it, it sort of like got, gave us a little too much behind the curtains with him. um, I love looking at it. You know, I love staring at it and just pouring over like, this is what that fool fucking drew on vacation. Like, fuck him. Because uh, my drawings on vacation are like, you know, maybe like one square of cobblestone every three days, and 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 every day he was like, and now I'm drawing this goat, and I'm also gonna draw like the the trees and lake behind it, and the little kid like eating chocolate. It's just like fuck anyway. But um, he's just yeah. I was more I was more drawn to people with like very prolific uh, sort of resumes or or, or libraries behind them. Um, And I can drop specific names, too. Because, like, right when I was in college, Marjan Satrapi was having her moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know that it was a direct... It wasn't a direct influence as it was coming out. But as I got older and was sort of becoming more accepting of the fact that, like, oh, I can draw mainstream, but I can also utilize this other style to tell specific stories... um, she came to my head a lot, you know, just kind of like, oh, you're looking at these at these very on the one hand simple illustrations, but then on the other hand, they're they're very evocative. And she's also, you know, getting international like she's getting paid internationally to write and draw like this. So it, it helped me see that there was a value to kind of like that approach to storytelling. Um, you know, you don't have to fill the page with like all of the crosshatches. Uh and that took me a minute to like internalize and accept for sure right you know because I, I guess the, you know to the other extreme it's like if we're going to talk about mainstream artists like it's like i loved uh art a- uh, 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 art atoms um in terms of just detail and how like you can really use cross-hatching to like sort of like draw the eye in any one direction um which was weird because it like i got to art Adams before i got to art crumb who i would say is probably like the king of that um and then yeah who else was there that like I was just like oh I really wanted like I loved Frank Cho when I was in college um had no desire to draw big boobies like I feel like my women got smaller and smaller cup sizes uh, <laughs> as I as I sort of grew in the industry not out of like I just yeah what what do I have to say about boobs what does it matter is the is the <laughs> real point
0: <laughs> yeah those guys I I would never have uh, have figured that they were um influential but I can kind of see it now that you you mention it. One thing I love about Art Adams, which you know everybody talks about his layouts and his and his figure work and his like how dynamic it is, whatever. What I love is uh is is how his characters act. Like the acting in his in the faces and the body language is so subtle. From I mean, sometimes it's outlandish, but often you have to look again and be like, oh man, look at the way that guy's arm is resting.
1: Yeah, there's a real there's a real attention to layout, you know what
0: I mean? Yeah. And um Or like and, look at the way that eyebrow is cocked. Like the the characters have so much personality and so much is going on just beyond his line work.
1: And they uh yeah, everything everything has like a reason and makes sense with his artwork, um which is really important. Yeah, I like I would pour over his uh, what is that? Like, it, I don't think it was called Creature Feature, but, like, he there was this collection. Yeah, called Creature
0: Features. The one that has him is yeah. like, a giant kaiju on the cover?
1: Yeah, 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 and there's, like, a Creature from the Black Lagoon story and a, you know, Godzilla story, I think. I loved that. I loved that so much. I loved Monkey Man and O'Brien so, so much. And like you said, it's just, like, the way he would draw these facial expressions where it was just, like, everyone... I guess that's why, like, he never got criticized for being, like, a titty artist, because similar to Adam Hughes, there was just so much technique in it. And then also everyone did seem in their own way, like a fully fleshed out realized character because they had so much emotion and everyone was drawn so individually. Maybe that's it. Yeah.
0: I remember reading long shot when it was coming out and just being struck by how much pathos was in all the characters. It was like this really silly kind of outlandish adventure story. And, but the characters faces and the reactions and just the body language there was a melancholy to it that was uh i don't know if i even processed it all the way when i was 11 or whenever that was coming out but <laughs> right like you don't yeah it's
1: but yeah, you wonder a why a,
0: a character that weird and such a random assemblage of like pieces became so popular and then you go back to that original and like well because it's a character because he has this like Something going on underneath that you feel for him there's like there's a real there's an element there that I don't think people talk about as much,
1: yeah, like it's, and a lot uh, of that comes
0: from the writing and I don't know who wrote that did he also In write city. it
1: the, uh okay, yeah, well there you go like it's 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 both of those things for sure, but definitely like. Yeah, I think if both writer and artist are in love with the character, you get such a good, you just get such a better product out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's why I always try to ask artists I work with what they like to draw, because an unhappy artist is an unhappy book. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's like that. Yeah, the I think a creative rapport uh, creates a better creation. Um, say that 10 times fast.
0: <laughs> um so we're up to mini comics and then you're so you're so you're producing comics. You have a stack of pages and then you get hired at Skybound.
1: Yeah, I mean there were certainly some other things there like I um was doing some stuff in in book publishing like I illustrated a book uh an all ages book for my friend Amber. Uh and then I was doing The Little Depressed Boy, which was a webcomic, and then would become a comic at Image Comics. Um so But you're you know, you're I'm, a
0: working cartoonist. You're you're drawing daily. At that point in my life,
1: yeah, but it wasn't like I couldn't live off of it. I was still living at my mom's. Um and then the Sky I was working retail too, and then and then the Skybound thing came up. Uh <laughs> Scott Dunbier was like, I like heard of like he's like I, I, I heard of this sort of like on the ground editor gig. Like, do you want to get back in comics? And the joke is like in my head when I got that email, I was like, I didn't know I'd left. <laughs> 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 um so but yeah, that that was uh the beginning of the end for me. Uh no more the end of retail. Uh at the time I was working at coach uh-huh. um on on Rodeo Drive. Yeah, I, I say that one publicly because uh, they were actually a great company to work for. Like I had no beef with them. Um, and I was actually super happy there, uh, which which is great when you're at a job that challenges you to the point of like questioning your own sanity where you're like, oh my God, this job is really hard. Um, because I was like, right, I could just like go work there and make enough money to pay rent and still draw. That it, it, There's like a level of, you know, emotional freedom that like you're like, okay, I don't have to get sucked into this thing too much. Like, There is, you know, I like I'd be fine if if I said I wasn't equipped for this and and went back to retail.
0: So you went to Skybound, but was this editorial or was this marketing Uh, editorial? I was
1: Kirkman's editorial director for the company um, for almost three years, about like two more than two and a half, somewhere between two and a half and three. And that was uh, stuff I knew how to do, but stuff that I don't want to be doing. Like it's like, you know, like when you work in comics and you self-publish, you just you have to learn how to basically do everything uh in the you know process of making a comic book come to life. Um and some of it's not fun. So, you know, and that's what an editor has to do is all the not fun stuff. (laughs) Um but it was super cool like to do to be a part of that as it was becoming this international phenomenon
0: what, what books were you working on? Um,
1: Invincible, Super Dinosaur, Thief of Thieves, The Walking Dead, The Walking Dead Weekly, uh, all the collected editions, Witch Doctor, what else? Guarding the Globe, uh, which became Invincible Universe, uh, right, right around when I left. And, and then I, oh, and like, uh, the beginning of manifest destiny and the beginning of, or some of clone. Um, I was like there for some of those things, but you know, they kind of came out after I'd left. Right. Um, so yeah.
0: And when you left, was that just to start doing your own thing full time or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was no drama. I was just starting to get pretty burnt out. Um, and I was not doing my job well, like my, like my, body and soul were telling me like, dude, you got to just start doing your own thing um, rather than like me being very aware of my own feelings. Um, So yeah. And at that point image had, had seen artwork for uh, my first memoir, not my bag. And, and they were down to publish it. So uh, all signs were kind of pointing to like, okay, like you need to start sort of going out there and doing, like a hundred percent your own creations and stories and um and, and and little depressed boy had been on the stands at least a year if not longer um by that point so so i was already starting to you know have books that were getting more attention than like you know say something i was just uh selling in the back catalog of right. previews
0: um and little depressed boy was that image as well
1: yeah, that was Image Central. Um and and it was orig the the web comic was done at Shadowline. Uh so that's always kind of been an image baby for all intents and purposes. Right.
0: So you you left Skybound, you're doing your own work. And you're putting out a lot of pages, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. We're we're about to get to the the part in my life where I was drawing I think like 3 books cuz I I took on um I took on a project uh, for this guy, Michael Stock, called Penny Dora and the Wishing Box, which was super cool, um, but it was just tough because, like, I, I I dug the book, but it it landed right when we were doing like a second volume of Burn the Orphanage, and then also timing to like release another volume of The Little Depressed Boy, and 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 I was maintaining drawing three books for a really long time until just sort of my grandma died and i hit this depression and and everything kind of came crashing down at once and the problem too was like i was i was struggling to keep a bunch of books that needed sort of you know more attention and more hands on deck than what i was willing to give them um and so it was just like yeah everything just sort of all at once (laughs) like took a just like reached a point of like and i'm stopping like my my like I, I couldn't just do things normally like my body always like has to like sort of disrupt the flow to like tell me dude
0: you you gotta stop you're you're
1: depressed like no more drawing
0: <laughs> so you're doing a ton of pages you take a break um I'm trying to roll this up to the point where where suddenly you're a comfortable working cartoonist and that's your life I don't when did that happen is that not happening? <laughs>
1: No, I mean yeah, I guess like it so it all started kind of coming together um what I like to now call like the self-obsessed era, uh-huh. which is I just sort of hunkered down and and stared at everything I was doing and I had some very uh useful insightful conversations with people uh one of one of them being Jeff Lemire who whose career is completely enviable. Like I don't, you know, I don't think anyone can look at his his uh sort of library and say like i don't want that um (laughs) like i don't want to write x-men and win eisner's for telling stories about my relationship with my father um i want all of those things uh (laughs) but he you know like he he kind of pointed out he's like well what like who are you like look at what you're putting out like what does that say about you like are you a freelance artist because you're drawing a bunch of other people's books like or are you your own voice and are you a writer and Um, and so I, I took a, I took a minute to kind of recalibrate and, and also make sure rebrand in a lot of ways. Like, as you were saying, it's like, oh, you knew me as an editor or that's what you were implying earlier. I think that's Um, when we first met. Yeah. And, but exactly. It's like, you know, I didn't know that no one knew what the fuck I was or who the fuck I was. And it's like, oh, you have to tell them, like, you have to tell them who you are and you have to be very clear about it. Um, and succinct, and then people will know where to categorize you, so um when I was putting out that book self obsessed, that was when I kind of started working on learning how to color and letter myself um, and really just take one hundred percent control over the material um, one as a way to like keep the budget of of being hireable down like and 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 to like also hold on to like what pennies I was making in comics like if i if I could color and and write and draw my stories, then I was getting all of the paychecks that that went to producing a comic book story, and I could make that stretch and I could make that last. Um, and then on top of that, it was helping clarify sort of who I was in comics, and I was able to get like you know cooler variant covers and backups you know, with IDW and boom, sort of as a voice rather than like, here is this guy who's gonna draw my little pony for a month because Tony Fleece needs, you know, <laughs> he needs a he needs a week off. <laughs> um you know, stuff like that. So it it was right around there that I was able to it was all starting to come together. Like I was getting higher profile gigs. Uh it was at that point this musician Jenny Lewis, like we she sort of refound me after uh years of not talking and, and then brought me on to do a lot of cool art projects for her. Um, and that's right when it all started coming together. Like 2000, late 2015, early 2016. Um, and then the Marvel stuff started rolling in. And then Iceman happened. Um, I guess I would say, yeah, wait, Iceman came out this year, right? Yeah, so it was 2016 that, that I was really able to start making comics work out. Like I was doing covers for Valiant and Boom and IDW and and doing little stories here and there. Um, But it's been a long time since I've drawn a straight narrative. And and that's been my goal for 2018 is to like write and draw things that are pure fiction.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, Well, that brings us to where I wanted to get to, which is talking about your, your content, the, the things that you create. You, one of the things that I love about your stuff is you do not shy away from what we would call adult material you you were frank about sex in a way that not a lot of people are yours is so uh just matter of fact and and open that i I think it's it is funny and, and charming and relatable um speak on that i yeah i mean i'm the i'm the generation that can't yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: No, i'm the I, I i you know like i it came from like it came from sort of curating a version of myself for so long and like tucking away the things that I thought, you know, weren't valuable or like, were going to work against me. And, you know, on top of all of this, I, you know, I got really sick, um, in 2015, 2016. Um, I had, like, I have a disorder in my esophagus that makes, that makes swallowing food hard and I needed this surgery. And, um and I just reached this point of like not caring like where I was just like i don't care anymore like i don't care what you think of me i you know like if if this is if this is the thing that turns you away like fine i don't like because I just got exhausted like and 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 then it turns out like no one really cares, obviously there are people who do care uh and are sensitive to sort of public conversations about sex and sexuality um But for where i was i was just like well you have no value in my life because you have told me i have no value in your life for the longest time and i finally have the balls to say it back um like i don't need you you don't need me i'm gonna be here uh and and it was cool to have that attitude for a really long time um and some of it was ignorance like i came up on sex in the city and I just thought, like, and, and that was where everyone loved to have conversations with me in real life was about sex and about sexuality and about understanding who you are, you know, in the bedroom. Like, it, it it's very fascinating. And it speaks to so many other experiences in our lives. But some people aren't comfortable with it. And that's fine, too. But I just didn't, I didn't care. Um, and then also, it was really successful like the frank sex talk did well for me um and so i was like okay i don't i don't know why i should stop like i'm making more money i'm getting attention from people that i respect and admire like i didn't you know what i mean like no one the only person who i was like worried for was my mom because i was just like oh like she probably hates this um But, you know, like, I've been pulled aside before and told that a decision I'm making is a bad one. And I think the most I got was, like, an eye roll from from those types of people. Um, And if that's all that happened, I was like, okay, I don't care. (laughs) Like, you you already roll your eyes at me anyway. Like, what do I care?
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny that that's, like, that that approach to dealing with people and people's reactions is it, for a long time, that was just the standard approach if you were an artist. And I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like people, people our age have had to come back to the idea that like, no, what I'm saying has value and my my point of view has has value and the content that I'm interested in, I shouldn't have to worry about people being ob- objecting to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I, I see both sides. I see both perspectives um, on that. Because you know working working for Robert and working you know on something like The Walking Dead and being someone else's employee and and representative of someone else's brand, it's not lost on me that like your higher ability or your or the perception of you changes when you when you go out there and you make these decisions um but i I heard I remembered watching uh this band metric, I saw them live uh, a year and a half ago or something. And it, leading up to some song, the the lead singer was like, kind of just like exclaiming some mantra. And I didn't realize that it was, some of it was hinged in like Buddhism, I think. Um, but she just said something along the lines of like, look, I'm going to do what I want. And I'm going to pursue what I want. And I accept the consequences of all of these decisions that like, you know, if I'm going to do it my way, there are consequences. And and when she said that, that just like struck a chord with me that like you can you can be who you want. You can say the shit you want to say, but like you have to accept that there are consequences to, you know, coming off as uncooperative or coming off as aggressive or coming off as unpleasant. Um, and as long as you are aware of those things, then, you know, m- like move gaily forward or whatever, like do what you want. But I think some people forget that uh, as our world becomes more and more corporatized, like you can't you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that they're you know that these some companies are run by very conservative, old fashioned people. Um, but I'm personally at a place where it's like, okay, if you don't want me, I can go get a job in retail, where no one has to know that you made a zine called The Nine Weirdest Dicks I Sucked. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I'll make and I'll make more money than I made in comics. Like. I made more money in retail like than any year in comics. Uh if I'd have like stuck around working at a department store, I could have made like 80 grand a year just selling expensive clothes to rich people. Um but like no, that that you know, I got a dream and I'm going to I'm going to see this dream, you know, through to the bitter end.
0: <laughs> you know, I think that that putting it the way the way you just put it makes I I guess clarifies what I was saying before. I feel like there's been a generational shift where, like, I don't know that underground cartoonists or musicians or whoever in the 60s were necessarily worried about the consequences. They were ready to deal with them, but it wasn't affecting what they were creating.
1: Yeah, and, like, I think, you know, the maybe even economies were just different back then. Like, you could live in San Francisco.
0: Absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: As a cartoonist, you can't live in San Francisco now because the tech fools fucking ruined it. Um, not that I have an opinion about that. Um, <laughs> also, you know, whatever. I don't know. I think it's like, that's uh, that's like when my boyfriend gets mad about like neighborhoods getting gentrified. I'm like, you know the neighborhood you're in, you had started the gentrification by being a white man there. He's like, I know, but it was just me back
0: then. All right. So just on, on the topic of kind of adult sexual content who who are some of your your inspirations in that world what are what are the Uh, books that you go back to
1: well what's funny is I don't really like it's not a genre that I like personally like I don't like seek it out you know um I love Dykes to Watch Out For by Alison Bechdel sure um sure it's (laughs) great I love it you know and I think and I guess I would just say like I was exposed to, like, a lot of adult comics working at Heidi Ho, but those weren't, those didn't discuss sex. Those were just, uh, I say this with, like, as much sex positivity as possible. Like, they were, it was porn, you know what I mean? Sure. um, But, like, you know, cool porn. It was really well-drawn porn. Um, Is it Chester Brown or Jeffrey Brown? The guy. Well, both, actually, to to a degree. Who's the guy that makes those Star Wars books now? That's Jeffrey Brown. His books, like, I remembered reading them and being like, oh, he put that in a comic? Like, Mm -hmm. that was, you know, I think that was where I saw it was like, okay, it exists, and therefore, so, you know, it's all right. It's really honest, and I think the problem with, like, narratives about straight men is sometimes they don't, they, like, skirt around the fact that they're participants in the bedroom. And, And to bring back, like, you know, Optic Nerve and stuff, that Shortcomings book, is so, so great um, because it's all about, like, tos- toxic masculinity being put to task. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Ben Tanaka is, like, not, he's not, he's not a great dude. Um, and and it, in that book, it's, like, he finally, like, catches on to it. And he catches on to just, like, how he's never had to, like, examine or, like, you know, be aware of, if he's the reason things go bad, or things are bad, you know,
0: it's been a long time since I've read it, but I remember him being a pretty objectionable protagonist.
1: Yeah, I I was super into that book. I love because the art. I think that's like his peak. Is that is the years he was making that that book, and um, and I saw a talk with him uh, in San Francisco, and he he said that like he really reveled in how much the reader was just going to assume he's Ben Tanaka um, and that he even put in a character trait about himself. Like, I guess he's allergic to everything and he made the character allergic to everything. But And then, and then in every other way, shape, and form, it wasn't him. But it's weird because it kind of was him because it's also about characters who, move, who change coasts. And at, at the time he had done that he had moved I think from Oakland to Brooklyn or vice versa um, but it was really interesting how much he just kind of let himself like let the reader assume he is this like deplorable character and that he has this bad view of the world but you it takes a couple reads before you're like no he can't make this book if he is that character because all the lady characters in the book are, are not like depicted as like bitches and cunts like they're they're fucking moaning him and schooling him, but, like, they're saying things so accurately and compassionately that, like, it's coming from a writer who understands that Ben is the problem. Um, and, you know, I don't think the lady characters are 100% perfect either, because everyone's real and everyone's human, and that's how you make good stories. Um, but, yeah, I do. That was a really, really good story. I don't know why we're... Ta- oh, we're talking about sex and stuff. and, and But there was such a bucked-up line in there where, like... He's goading his ex-girlfriend to kind of be like, come on, what is it about me? Like, what is it that sucks or something? Like, like you know, is, you know, is my dick too small or am I bad in bed and all these things? And she just fucking says, like, she's like, if I told you, you wouldn't recover. And, like, that's it. That's everything. And that's, like, the nastiest thing you can say to someone. Like, if I ever told you the thing you're too scared to hear, like... It would confirm your fears and you wouldn't come back from it <laughs> like the end.
0: Yeah. So the one thing I wanted to you to speak to currently is with all of the work you've done in memoirs and with all the work that you've done talking about your own life and, and about, you know, fairly grounded content. What of that do you bring to a Marvel comic? Like how do you reconcile your own interests and your own themes and the things that you – bring to your work about yourself and wrap it up in a story that has certain requirements that step away from that uh, I think does that, that, that make sense right yeah absolutely okay. um, I think it helps I think it helps
1: make me make stories that have the potential to be special um, someone had like tweeted that the reason they liked Iceman was it felt like a good episode of Buffy where there was um emotional resonance and then like catharsis through like poignant fight scene. Right. Um, and and because you know, I think because I like I love mainstream comics and I know what they're supposed to do, you know, like and I don't have a problem with that. Like that's when you that's when you run into bad comics. Is if you take an indie person who doesn't appreciate the floppy monthly action comic book and and you're watching them writhe in agony against how it's supposed to go. Um, but I don't have that problem because I love them. So what I try to do is I just try to make them very personal and, and get into these people's heads and, and give them all very like human motivations. Um, and then on top of that, like I would say, you know, having studied like literature and English and creative writing in college, then that helps me also kind of like look at these things as like metaphors. Um, and and you know then that helps me kind of like put a mirror to society um but you know veil it a little bit so that way like it gives it a little importance too you know like i i try to make it entertaining and something that like if a scholar wants to like examine what the word nothing means in ice man like i made sure that they've got their that they can that they've got their six paragraph essay waiting for them right um BT dubs, I think, I do think I can say that, that, like, the word nothing has great meaning in that series. Like, I remember talking to an editor, and he's like, blah blah," and I was like, I was like, yeah, and he's like, oh, that line, like, that's, that's really poignant, and I was like, yeah, oh, because it was, uh, Iceman talks about how he turns to vapor, and it comes from believing, you know, just thinking like he's nothing, you know, it comes from a really self-hating place, and, and, and it comes from wanting to disappear, Um, and it's this like page of him using that word nothing in this really like negative light. And then the last like bit of dialogue in the page is his dad turns to him and is like, I love you. Nothing changes that. And, uh, and my editor was like, whoa. And he like brought it up and I was like, yeah, dude, like I went to college. Like I think about these things. Um, like, it's like you paid me to write words. Like I take the words very seriously. Um, so yeah, I, you know the but the the self reflection and the being able the years of sort of testing out material and and seeing what works for the reader and what doesn't in comic book form you know like that's where the memoir helps like i know what subjects could be interesting and what subjects are literally you're watching someone cook breakfast like it's like this isn't right. fun for anyone
0: well and you also you you had a real talent you know some memoirs are just this is what happened today Here's what happened today. But you took anecdotes and moments from the day and turned them into three acts and, and gave them structure in a way that not everybody is is mindful of.
1: Yeah, and that just comes from – and again, I think that also comes from loving mainstream comics. Like when I was working on uh, my recent Image Comics book, Nothing Lasts Forever, out now in all bookstores, ranked one of the top – graphic novels of 2017 from Um, (laughs) spy.com. But when I was working on that, it was always a, a challenge to be like, okay, how can you make this look cooler? Like you're working with comic books. You can draw anything you set your mind to. Like you've proven that to yourself time and time again. Like how do you make presenting this information and this journey to the reader like as visually interesting as possible? You know, you're in complete control And then, you know, then on top of that, you also have to say, like, but you have to temper it with, like, well, what's the point of the book, and how is what you're drawing, like, going to speak to that as well? Um, But, yeah, that's, it's it's a good, like, it's a good place to do that, and and mainstream comics have taught me, like, oh, dude, like, go for the double-page spread, go for the splash, like, go for the weird-looking thing, because, like... That's what makes this a comic book, and that's what makes this exciting, and that's what makes this not a movie and not like you know prose.
0: I almost dread asking this question because it feels like I'm going kind of too deep dive on a nerd topic. But Let's, who who's listening to this besides people who love us? Well, Let's two do other people aside from me and you. Um, <laughs> I but but I I'm more interested in the process than I think you'll understand what I mean when you're dealing with a character like Iceman who's been around for 50 years
1: something like that 40 50 yeah
0: <laughs> and there's there's multiple versions this is not a character with like a consistent arc there's you know a variety of different takes and personalities <clears throat> and i'm i'm guessing that you did all the research you read all the comics you 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 did the whole immersion on it how much of the character in the book that you are writing is fully formed out of your head How much of it is based on Another version from years past How much of his amalgam So this is why I, I, I'm not necessarily interested In like quote your take On Iceman as much as your process In coming to your take on Iceman Does that make sense?
1: Yeah that totally makes sense I think I'll even be able to answer it You know in in a in a Way that like tethers Itself to how you ask the question Or asking the question but like I love it Um, yeah, well, what I did was, I, I guess, so my version of Iceman comes from, like, what I've been exposed to, and then what I responded to, um, and I read, I read, like, both of his solo miniseries, I read, uh, I read through, like, I was, like, I was, like, I never had even, like, kind of looked at Matt Fraction's run on X-Men, so I was, like, going through that, um, I went through a lot of Mike Carey's run where Iceman was a bigger character and Bendis, obviously. Anyway, I went through all this stuff um, and I took sort of consistent themes and consistent narratives and and made those like, okay, these are just like, this is what I say is like canonically Iceman. You know what I mean? Like contentious relationship with his parents, like... uh predominantly irish catholic household even though his mother uh someone wrote her as jewish but then i had a friend who's from new england explained to me that like uh even if that's like technically the case where the judaism like runs through the mom like there are some overbearing new england households where like if the man insists like that such as that um so that's why i have bobby track as irish catholic you heard it here first um <laughs> you know, just all of those things and the friendships that mattered throughout the series. Like I, I, just honed in on that and you, and, and that is what helps anchor it, you know? And then also the way he's represented himself as like just sort of a douchebag, like, um, for better or worse, I leaned into that cause that's who he is. Like, he's kind of, you know, like he's had some things very easy because he's like a handsome, charming goofball, you know, where no one's ever given him all the responsibility so like it's funny because people are like, God, this guy's like an asshole. Like, is this what like being like positive gay representation is? And I'm like, no, this is just Bobby Drake's story. Like, uh, you know, like I didn't say I'm telling the story of the most perfect human. I'm telling the story of this dude. Um and and that help, helps me like make sure I'm not writing it for myself, you know? Um right. and then yeah, and then I I think about kind of I talk to a lot of friends who came out later in life and I think about their thought processes. Um, and also I examine comedians because uh, comedians typically internalize pain and compartmentalize pain the same way Bobby Drake does. You know what I mean? Like, let me point at it and laugh at it and bring it up in front of everyone. Ha! Like, if there it is in plain sight. It's not a big deal. It's a big fucking deal. Like, I need lots of therapy, but I'm not admitting it. Um, and, and, and that's kind of where I draw sort of resources in terms of making sure like this character is not me or is not just my journey. Um, is I, I, kind of like put all those things together and then I listen to a playlist of music that I don't necessarily like, but I think Bobby Drake would like, and that helps me too, um, is to like, even just like from the writing process, like I'm not, I'm not me you know, like Bobby Drake, isn't like listening to like the cool LA, you know, punk band or like, I don't think Bobby Drake gives two fucks about like, if something is like lo-fi garage, you know, rock, like he probably is like, he likes churches, <laughs> you know, <chiverches>.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> and he probably has a lot of fourth wall moments looking at the Jamie McKelvey promo artwork being like, wait, didn't this artist draw me anyway? Sorry. Um, I don't think Jamie has drawn Iceman, neither here nor there. Uh, but stuff like that, like I, I try to make sure it's not me, um, but I do, I do think I creep in there a lot more than I want to. But I try to not, you know what I mean?
0: Sure. Um, at, at what point does the like kind of the seventies were they seventies miniseries, eighties miniseries? At what point was... do they kind of creep back into the head?
1: Uh, mainly. Well, mainly, like, I look at his dating, The because like, the only way I'm gonna, like, just, like, walk away from arguing with, like, Twitter fans or internet people about, like, the decades of him being a straight guy is if you lean into it, and you lean into the psychology of people who did date women and dated them, you know, quote-unquote successfully, but still identify as 100% gay and not bisexual— which is like they were just able to like they were just able to like turn that you know to turn it off and compartmentalize
0: that's so it's deep. not an uncommon thing, no it isn't
1: and the pro- you know and Especially that's the problem. of a
0: certain generation,
1: yeah, and exactly, and like to me, Bobby is that generation um and and it's it's so easy for me to stand by that because like i uh if, I don't remember how long ago it was. But I went out with a guy who, like, is now 33, which is around Bobby's age. He's, like, late 20s, early 30s. And that dude hadn't come out until he was, like, 30. You know, same with Bobby and, like, talking to him and, like, where his head was at, the pace and the psychology.
0: Every year that goes by, the more I see people's, like, pathologies just stamped and patterned. And it's just, like, there's no free will in this dumb life. No. Isn't that crazy? I... We are who we were
1: in high school. I guess I say high school because that's when you actually you get it's the it's the first time you have evidence of people making grown up decisions, you know, yeah, on their yeah, own yeah, volition. Yeah. Um, on on the lo- like on the average level, it's always around there that you sort of see what people people are made of.
0: Right. All right, we I I, I gotta wrap this up because I don't keep you. Tell tell me what you've got on the horizon.
1: Yeah, um, so I'm super super excited uh, for the next couple of issues of Iceman. Um, we have Iceman fighting Doc Hen, and it's just like it's just such a weird, crazy uh, couple of issues. And and I actually think I'm probably going to lose some fans, but it's okay. Like I I'm taking some risks, and I'm 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 stoked, uh, but you know also nervous because Doc Hen is a fan favorite, and Iceman is a fan favorite, and uh, you know you can't. You can't mess it up, but sometimes you got to try things. Uh, and I'm in the middle of working on um, something I'm writing and drawing, uh, creator-owned. Uh, and then I have a few things that I'm like writing. There's a cool gem story that I have coming out in February. Gem and it's the Dimensions uh, anthology series and that's really cool. Hannah Templer is drawing that um and she exceeded all expectations um in terms of just sort of like looking at the script and making it her own. Um and I think that's all I can say officially. Um but I I I yeah, I was like scared for 2018. There was so much upheaval You know, between the big two and and sales have been really um, kooky in comic books this year, just all across the board. Uh, But it's somehow made me more in love with making comics. And I've been drawing like crazy and um, I just feel now more than ever like, oh, I'm here to stay and I'm going to do something. I'm going to do some really cool stuff. And... I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't feel very self-indulged anymore. Like now I'm up for the challenge of telling some pretty uh ambitious stories, I think.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking time to uh to talk to us. It was uh... Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me, and I hope uh, I hope we didn't I don't hope, I hope we didn't tangent too much.
0: <laughs> it's I'm, I'll chop it all out. We won't leave any anything too embarrassing in there. <laughs> awesome. The Comic Book Legal Defense Fund is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we depend on donations like yours to continue the work that we do. You can donate by visiting cbldf.org and clicking the Donate banner. This podcast in particular, and all of our education programs, are made possible by a donation from the Gaiman Foundation, and again, from the financial support of listeners just like you. You can also support the podcast by going to iTunes and giving us a rating, which helps people find us. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please contact us. You can uh, email us directly at info infocbldf.org. At Our music is by the Django Reinhardt Orchestra, and this podcast has been produced and edited by me, Alex Cox. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next month.